This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'll invite you to turn to two openings of Scripture this morning. Genesis chapter 1 and Psalm 8. We started a series a few weeks ago on... uh, We've been talking about spiritual dominion. And we want to continue with that. Go a little bit further this morning perhaps, if the Lord wills. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. After God has created the earth... And everything that's in it, then he, the scripture tells us of his plan to make mankind. And he said this, Genesis one twenty six. and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Image and likeness are two different things. He's not just talking about appearance, he's talking about same quality of being. Let us make man after our, or in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now in Psalm 8. Something is a little blind to the western reader. It seems. But the Jews well understood. That uh, the 8th Psalm is, uh, is David speaking prophetically. Or well rather than prophetically. Let me use this term. Speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost looking back at creation and he's identifying Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 5 and 6 tell us that what David says in Psalm 8 was an angel he's quoting an angel at what happened at the creation that we just read about in Genesis 126 Psalm 8 beginning in verse 3 he said when I consider my the thy heavens the work of thy fingers and the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained here's what the angel said what is man that thou art mindful of him And the son of man that thou visitest him. Now what made the angels so shocked at God's plan to make this thing called man? It was God's plan for dominion. Verse 5. For thou hast made him to be a little lower than the angels. This word angels is also the word is uh, literally the Hebrew is the word Elohim. It's the word that's usually translated God. Now I don't know what the translators had in mind on this. Maybe it was beyond their thinking that that, uh, the scripture would say that, that God made man a little lower or if you'll allow me to say it this way, after our likeness, in our image and after our likeness means God made man as close to himself as possible. Now maybe that was too, hard, too, too much for the translators to accept. I don't know. But I know that this word uh, angels, this word Elohim that's translated angels, isn't used for angels any other place in the, in the scripture. It's always referring to the Godhead. Or most often it's referring to the Godhead at least. So he says, for thou hast made him, man, a little lower than the Elohim, the Godhead, and thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made him, or thou madest him, to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things, everybody say all things. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Now, folks, any way you want to read this, there is only one conclusion that you can draw, and that is when God made Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden, he made them to be the gods of this world. That doesn't mean they're equal with God in being creators of the universe. It means they put, that God put the world under man's rule. What man said went. And that's why Adam had to fall in order for Satan to become now the God of this world. Satan can't become the God of this world through 
some kind of attack against mankind other than man giving up his authority by free will and choice. Only Adam giving up, relinquishing his authority, that's the only way that the, that the devil could ever become the God of this world, which 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says he now is. Now we've, um, we've talked a great deal about, um, uh, over the last couple of weeks, about different times and different instances where men in the Old Testament used the power of God, they used the, the, uh, the direction of God, if you will, to perform signs and wonders and miracles, great feats of, uh, uh, of miracle working power, and in many cases superseded the laws of nature, the laws of physics. Now how is that possible? Turn, let's start over in John chapter 3. John chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi or master or teacher, whichever word, all these words are interchangeable. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. Why? For no man doeth these miracles or can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. In other words, he's saying we've already seen enough and, and, and he hadn't seen anything yet compared to the things that Jesus will do over the next three years. But early on, in the beginning of his ministry, he's already seen enough to say, we know that God's with you because nobody can do this stuff if God's not there. And Jesus says to him, notice Jesus' response. Jesus says to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 3, Except a man, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, what is Nicodemus' subject when he comes to talk to Jesus? Miracles. What does Jesus reply concerning Nicodemus and his comment? He doesn't really ask a question, at least not one that's identified in Scripture, but his comment regarding the miracle working power of God. He said, it's part of the kingdom of God and you can't get in there without being born again. Let me ask you a question. Why did they have it? I'm not asking what was the purpose. I'm asking what was the cause? What was the foundation? What was the reason for them being able to have authority. But why not some other created being? Because they're not made in God's image or likeness. In other words, they're not made in God's class of being. Man was the only thing worthy of having dominion. The dominion of the created, the creator's creation. How did man lose that dominion? He lost that dominion through the fall. Through disobeying God and choosing Satan instead. What I want you to see folks is that righteousness or that uh, dominion was ordained for righteous man. Now that brings us back to John chapter 3. When Jesus is answering Nicodemus about the miracle working power of God. And he speaks of being born again. He's speaking of a return to righteousness. What is the miracle working power of God that they witnessed? Well, what they've already witnessed and what they will witness throughout the ministry of Jesus for the next three years, they've witnessed Jesus taking authority over things of the earth, in many cases the laws of nature, in other cases breaking the power of the devil, exercising greater authority, greater dominion, greater power than the devil can show. It was culminated in John chapter 10 where Jesus, or John chapter 11 I should say, where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. At that point, everybody knew. There's nothing this guy can't do. And that's when the Jews, the Pharisees, the council said, now we've got to kill him. We don't do away with him now. Everybody's going to believe on him. Why? Because he has displayed the ultimate 
in power, authority, and dominion. Even death is no match for Jesus. Physical death is no match for Jesus. So when Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. He's very simply saying this. He's saying the dominion that you've witnessed, the authority that you've witnessed, the miracle power that you've witnessed is all a part of the kingdom of God. And the entrance to that is righteousness. Being born again. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing School is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross and on the cross Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Let's start in verse 27, Mark chapter 11, verse 27. You didn't know there was a verse 27 in Mark chapter 11, did you? Thought it ended with Mark chapter, with verse 24. And it, they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there came to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And they said unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? They're not questioning he's doing them. No argument there. By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? Remember we talked about authority or dominion. It can only come one of two ways. Either it has to be given or conferred by someone who has it. Or it is taken by conquest. They don't assume that Jesus has conquered anybody to get it. So they said who gave you this authority? Clearly you've got it. Who gave it to you? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one question. You answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. In other words, you first. You answer my question, then I'll answer yours. Here's his question. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he'll say, why then did you not believe him? Can't have that. But if we say of men... They feared the people for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. They thought to say that the baptism of John was a baptism of men would be to discount John's commission from heaven. And they answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. And Jesus answering said unto them, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. If you're not going to answer my question, I won't answer yours. Now, he knew they could answer it. They just wouldn't. So Jesus says, I won't answer yours either. But then he gives the answer. He spoke to them in parables, chapter 12. And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went away into far country. 
And at the season, he sent to the husbandman a servant that he might receive from the husbandman of the fruit or the harvest of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent unto them another servant. And at him, they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again, he sent another and him they killed. And many others beating some and killing some. Having yet, therefore, one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. They may have treated my servants badly, but surely they'll treat my, serv- my son well. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandman and will give the vineyard to others. Now, folks, please understand that the, that the type and the illustration being used here is that the husbandman is the one, are the ones who have authority over the land that the owner owns, the vineyard. So he says, what, will, what the, the shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandman, take their authority, and will give the vineyard unto others. And have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, or hold on him, for, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. And they left him and went their way. Here's the point. When Jesus asked the question, the baptism of John, he's literally saying, I'm doing the same work that John did. It only shows up in different ways. So you answer me this. The baptism of John, was it a baptism of men or was it a baptism of heaven? Which one was it? We've already read they were afraid to say that it was of men because they thought the people would revolt against them because they believed John was a prophet. Prophets are sent from God. But if they said, if it was from heaven, then he'll say, then why didn't you pay attention to him? Why did you work against him? And at this point in time, John's already been beheaded by Herod. Why didn't you stand up for him? Why didn't you do something about it? So they say, well, we can't answer. Well, what is the answer? The answer is very simply this. John baptized with the baptism of repentance. Acts chapter 19 tells us that when Paul was in the upper coast and having passed through the upper coast and came to Ephesus, it says that he found certain disciples and they were baptized under John's baptism. And, John, and Paul explains that the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. Is repentance from God or from man? Repentance is a baptism of men. Repentance always starts from man. It's man turning from his way. So John is preaching to mankind to turn from his wickedness. Therefore, his baptism was a baptism of men. But now why did he enter into, why did he engage into the ministry that he had? Jesus said himself there was not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. That's pretty good. It means Moses wasn't greater than John. It means Elijah wasn't greater than John. But we've got more miracles from Moses and Elijah and Elisha and some of the other prophets. We've got a lot more miracles than we do from John the Baptist. We don't have one recorded miracle from John the Baptist. Yet Jesus said he was the greatest of the prophets. Why? What makes him the greatest? He spoke of the one coming after him. John's ministry was very simply, Jesus is on my heels. The Messiah is coming soon. But then I've got a question. If Jesus is saying the baptism of John was a baptism of men, then how in the world is he doing this stuff? 
How in the world is he doing the, the works that he's doing? How is he performing the miracles that he's performing? Because just as John was anointed of the Holy Ghost to call men to repentance, Jesus was anointed of the Holy Ghost to reveal the Father to mankind. And that was the source of Jesus' authority. That was the source of Jesus' miracle power. Because he was a righteous man. He is now operating in the same position as Adam did on the face of the earth before the fall. When Adam was created, Adam was, it says that God breathed into him the breath of life. Can you separate life and righteousness? Now, we think of life as being existence. We think of someone, if we lose a loved one or we have a funeral, we think of someone having died. Well, in Bible terms, very seldom does physical death, uh, very seldom does, does death refer to the cessation of existence. We know from what the scripture says, that even if we do bury someone and we have their funeral service or graveside service or whatever, we also know that that person hasn't ceased to exist. They continue to exist. And since existence continues past physical life, that's why it's so important to make sure that someone is prepared for eternity and not just for things that happen here. So how can you separate life from righteousness? When life was breathed into Adam and he became a living soul, what does that mean? That means he was made in the image of God. He became the righteousness of God. God placed himself, his own spirit, within Adam. That's what Adam lost. You remember the commandment that God gave Adam. He said, thou shalt, eat, uh, thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, what does he mean? What's he, what death is he talking about? Thou shalt surely die. Well, it wasn't physical death because Adam didn't die for another 930 years after. What death is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual death. He's not talking about you'll cease to exist. He's saying you'll now be separated from me. The life, your existence here on the earth will not be based on righteousness. It will not be based on my spirit within you. But instead, you'll be in a fallen condition. And that's why God had to protect the tree of life and keep man from eating of it after he fell. That's why John chapter 1 says, what is it, verse 3, in him was life and the life was the light of men. We could say it this way, in him was righteousness and the righteousness was the light of men. I think one thing that we've done, uh, I think the church has done a disservice to, the, to people throughout the world. And that is this. We've talked of eternal life only in terms of longevity. We haven't talked of eternal life in terms of what does it really mean. Because most people think that eternal life means when we die we get to go to heaven and that's when eternal life really begins. But eternal life begins now when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Your Lord and Savior. Well, what happens? Well, the Bible says God takes the old spirit out of you. The spirit that was separated from God Paul said it this way writing to the Ephesians he said man's problem was not that he was a sinner man's problem was that he was dead you who were dead in trespasses and sins spiritual death is the problem not sin I think the church has done a disservice to, to mankind that way too we've talked about sin as if sin meaning actions is everything and it's very little Death is the issue. Spiritual death is the issue. That's why so many of us, after we become born again, after we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, because we don't know we've been made righteous, we keep struggling with sin in our lives. 
Why? Because we talk about sin rather than death. The Bible says you've been redeemed from spiritual death. It doesn't say you've been redeemed from sin. It says you've been strengthened to overcome sin. Why? Because you've been redeemed from spiritual death. There was an exchange life or righteousness for death. And folks, that righteousness was the foundation. Jesus says so himself. That righteousness was the foundation for the miracles that he performed here on the earth. Now turn with me over to Luke chapter 10. Jesus sends out the 70. He tells them to heal the sick. He tells them to, to, to go tell that he's coming to town. Verse 17, the 70 returned again with joy. Here's after they come back from their commission to go into the cities before him. The 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. If you read the previous verses in the chapter, you'll find out that not one word was said about casting out devils. Not one. He did say heal the sick. He just said, he did say whatever city receives you, then heal the sick that are therein. The cities that reject you, wipe the dust off your feet and say, well, the kingdom of God came to you, but it's your fault you rejected it. Not one word, not one statement, not one hint of exercising any power to cast out devils and and demons was mentioned. Yet they're getting results in other areas. They come back and say, Jesus, we found out that even the devils are subject to us in your name. Now, what does that mean? To me, that means this. You judge this for yourself, but to me, it means this. You see if I'm reading anything into the scripture. If they came back and said, Lord, even the devils are subjects unto us through your name, that's saying we took this power and used it according to what you told us, but then it went even further than what you said. Jesus answered, responded, and said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power, literally authority, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Can I ask you another question? Is he saying, now I'm giving you something more? Why would he give them something more? Why would he give them authority over the devil that they didn't have before when they've just finished the work? What do they need it for now? They just came back. If they ever needed it, they needed it while they were out. Now, Jesus is explaining, here's what my name means. He's not saying, now I'm giving you something you didn't have when you just went out on your ministry trip. He's saying, here's the extent of my name. Here's how far it goes. It goes to exercise authority over all of the devil's power, all of his ability, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's how far my name goes. I didn't tell you about that before. I told you about healing the sick. I told you about, you know, helping people and telling them about me coming to town and so forth. But here's how far my name goes. He's not saying it's a new name. He's not saying here's the new work. He's saying this is what my name does. It gives the holder authority over all the power of the devil. And provides divine protection. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now notice the next thing he says. Notwithstanding. Notwithstanding. In this rejoice not. He says now don't get happy because you've got authority over the devil's power. There's a lot of things there it looks to me like to be happy over. Doesn't it to you? Yet Jesus said notwithstanding in this rejoice not. That the spirits are subject unto you. But rather rejoice 
because your names are written in heaven. What in the world does that mean? Names written in heaven very simply means this. It means those who have received the life of God, or in their case, would receive the life of God. Maybe I ought to back up before I make this comment. Let me back up a little bit. How could these guys use the miracle-working power of God in no matter how it comes? They're not children of God. They're unsaved men. They're spiritually dead men. Just like Joshua was. Just like Moses was. Just like Elijah was. How could spiritually dead men do miracles? Because they had a promise. They had a promise of righteousness. They had a promise of redemption from spiritual death, which means to receive the life of God, which means to be made righteous. These guys are spiritually dead men, but because they're followers of Jesus, have a promise of righteousness which is soon to come. And that promise is sufficient as far as God is concerned to be handlers of his miracle working power. Notice what God does not do. God does not sit there and say, well, no, 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 you, you don't qualify yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're following Jesus around and you're helping him. But, I mean, after all, you're not even one of the 12. You're just one of the 70. Don't you know there was opportunities for the 70 to think, why couldn't I be one of the 12? Now, don't get religious on me. Don't think, oh, no, the 70 walked around with halos just like the 12 did. These are unsaved men. There's all kinds of politics. There's all kinds of interaction. There's all kinds of emotional uh, stuff that's going on. Personality conflicts and so forth. There's all this kind of stuff. And God doesn't look at one and say, no, you lost your temper last week, so you can't be one of the group. And these are unsaved men. These are unrighteous men. But because they were followers of Jesus... They had a promise of righteousness. And that was good enough for God to use them. What are you waiting for? You don't have a promise of righteousness. You have righteousness revealed. So why then would God look at these guys and say, well, you're unrighteous, you're unsaved, but okay. Miracle power. But look at his children who have made Jesus the Lord of their lives and say, no, 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 not you. You had a wrong thought yesterday. You spoke unkindly. See how our thinking is wrong? And the reason our thinking is wrong, in my opinion, you judge it for yourself. But in my opinion, the reason our thinking is wrong is because we focused on sin instead of life. One of the great truths of Scripture is what Jesus told His disciples in Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That authority belongs to us as believers. We have authority in the name of Jesus over all the work of the enemy. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. You take authority in the name of Jesus. Say, bless God, this is the way it's going to be. Thank you, Father, according to your word, it's done. And then nothing happens. The devil says, well, that didn't work. Well, how do we know? 
because we haven't seen it yet. We're so quick to judge things by what we see. And folks, that's the real test of spiritual growth. Spiritual maturity is accepting that something has happened because the Word of God says so, not because we see it yet. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.